Well, I think in one sense we can all learn how to love better. And it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you're in, whether it's a, between two friends, between a, a parent and a child, between a husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, between you and your older parents. Relationships and connecting with each other and listening to each other and understanding each other is a vital part of life. And I find just as a pastor who's worked with people for 25 years, with a staff of people who've worked with people for many years, and a team of volunteers who've worked with people in some of the most intimate details between friends and kids and parents, that relationships usually don't suffer from a lack of love. They suffer from a lack of loving skills. Usually the parent truly loves the child, but the child doesn't feel it that mom and dad can listen because of the skill of listening and empathy. You two people fighting from department to department. It's not that they don't care about each other. It's not even that they're always not on vision. It's that they don't know how to see the other person's perspective, empathy and warmth and the connection between it. And the bottom line is whatever relationships you're in, you're going to eventually go through a difficult time. You just will. There'll be a challenge at work that's bigger than anything you faced before. And it's going to bring up people's anxiety. It's going to bring out their fear. And even though you care about the people in the team, you may not have the skills you need or that they need you to have to enter their world. Because let's face it, there's going to be times that you and the people you care about are going to go through depression. And you're not going to have the skills to know how to enter their world. There's going to be times they're going to go through postpartum pregnancy, midlife crisis. You're like, whoa, what happened here? Menopause. ED, all these different things. You're like, I wasn't prepared for this. Well, we didn't ever have to think about this before. And yet we want to talk today about it's sometimes not the baggage we bring into our marriage, that we bring into our family, that we bring into our parenting, that we bring into our workplace. Sometimes it's not the things that are in the bag we bring into the relationship. It's the things that aren't in the bag. See, most people, when you open the bag of your life, what they need, the skills they really need you to have are empathy. To be able to understand where the other person's coming from. To be a good listener, you have to be able to express warmth. The tone you use. The way you convey information to your kids. I can't tell you how many teenagers, I was a youth pastor for many years, mom and dad never listened to me. I knew their parents. Their parents loved them and cared for them. But they could not listen in a way that felt warm. And vice versa. I saw plenty of teenagers who had no ability to, to show warmth back to their kid, to their parents. Comfort. The ability to weep with those who weep, the Bible says, and to rejoice with those who rejoice, to enter someone's world. And I think one of the most difficult ones is respect. Are you willing to listen to somebody without judging them, without judging what they say or what they feel, to truly understand where they're coming from? See, what happens oftentimes is when people reach into the bag of our relationship, you wanted this from your boss, you wanted this from a colleague, you wanted this from your children, and instead you got, there's nothing in the bag. There's just, no skills are gone. It's just blank, blank, blank. And so the stuff you need to have the kind of relationships you want aren't in the bag. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see a man named Elkanah who truly loves his wife, Hannah. I mean, just truly loves her. It says in the Bible, he loved Hannah. But she goes through a time of infertility. The Lord had closed her womb. That brings out anxiety and insecurity and fears. And he does not know how to enter her world during this difficult time. And though they love each other, the relationship begins to crumble because of a lack of loving skills. Let me tell you their story real quick if you're not familiar with it. We're going to study this passage of the Bible, the book of 1 Samuel, verse by verse for about six months in our equipping service starting in January. 
But this is a little piece from the first chapter. So in the first chapter, we meet a man named Elkanah. One of the first problems with Elkanah is that he has allowed the culture to influence him pretty severely. You see, the Bible had said, I want there to be one man and one woman and those two people to learn to adapt to one another. But instead, he's kind of heard from the culture that, you know, two wives are better than one. So already, we're introduced at the very beginning, this man who is trying to pursue God as best he can, but in that culture, it was very common to have two wives. And so sure enough, Elkanah has two wives. One of them was named Hannah, the other one's name was Peniah. One of them's able to have children, and the other one is barren. Now, again, before we get into the skills of comforting, I think many of us, we live in a time in history, a very unique time in history, where listening is not modeled at all anywhere. I mean, it's always been bad that people don't listen to each other, but now people really don't listen to each other. You judge, you cut people off, you don't understand a perspective, you're not even open to other people's perspectives. So in the same way his polygamy influenced him, I would encourage you to think about how our culture is teaching us how not to listen. And what we need more than anything is to know how to listen to one another. Well, this gets bad because now the results of that cultural influence is that he's got a wife who can have children and a wife who can't. And if fertility issues weren't difficult enough, imagine having a sister wife who's got plenty of time being fertile myrtle and she's got plenty of kids coming. And this creates a fight. I mean, this is unbelievable fight between them. So, next passage. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. So this is a very devout Christian man in the sense of the Old Testament. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he'd give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, plenty, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion. So when you'd sacrifice your lamb or your goat, you'd cut it into pieces. Some went to the Lord and some came back to you as meat. And he gave a double chunk, one piece of a double chunk to Hannah to let her know, hey, I love you. I'm sorry you're going through this. I want you to know I care about you. I'm giving you a double portion. So... He's praying for her. He's giving her a double portion. But look what happens. He loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. But her rival, that's her sister wife, if you want to call it that, calls it her rival, provoked her severely to make her miserable. Making fun of the fact she can't have kids. Putting in her face every day, every day. You say, wow, is that cruel? Yeah. Well, have a daughter in junior high. Have a daughter in high school or college. And read their text and see the kind of chaos that happens that they have to go through. The ability for human beings, in this case women, to be this cruel and monotonous and just horribly painful to someone else is just unheard of. And our kids more than ever need us to know how to empathize with them, share warmth with them, how to listen to them, how to enter into their pain. Because this doesn't go on just for a few minutes. It says year after year she provoked her to make her miserable. There is a level of grief and sadness and difficulty going on here. And Hannah's just weeping. She so wants to have a child and she can't. And she's, it's been put in her face every day. So it's from these relationships we're going to learn four aspects of comfort. Some things to do and some things not to do. To really understand what comfort and warmth and, and entering somebody's world looks like. So the first thing I think we discover, and this is certainly true elsewhere in the Bible as well, there's both a positive and negative example here, is that comfort means we use questions to explore, not eliminate sadness. This is very challenging because your instinct as a parent, your instinct as a spouse, is to eliminate the sadness of your spouse. Oh, come on, let's just cheer up. Oh, let's go out for ice cream. All fine things. 
But you're not going to enter someone's world unless you get really good at using questions to enter their sadness, enter their emotions, help them process what they're feeling, not try and eliminate it. And he does a pretty good job, actually. As he sees his wife weeping, he initially uses questions to explore her sadness. So what happens? Hannah, why do you weep? And great question. He cares about her. And that question is helping her explore her sadness. Second question. Why are you not eating? What's going on? Third question. Why is your heart grieved? These are great examples of a husband trying to explore the sadness of someone he cares about. But. But often what makes it hard for us to enter our kids' world, our spouse's world, our co-worker's world, is because their sadness makes us anxious. When my wife's unhappy, if I'm honest, I feel like I'm being a bad husband. And so I'm trying to fix her sadness, you know, be the happiness guru, make her happy again so that I feel good. And you see this exactly with Elkanah. His next question, or statement rather, is, am I not better than ten sons? He starts taking it really personally, her sadness. Oh, come on. What good's a son you got me? I'm giving you double portions. And often in marriage and relationships, it's your kids are struggling with something, they're feeling something, but it makes you very nervous. Oh, if they're feeling that, I wonder where it's going to go. Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen here? And your anxiety about what they're processing, you're trying to shut it down, change it, redirect it, you know, tell them how they should feel. And you don't listen well because you're anxious about the things they're feeling. But just using questions to explore their feelings without going to this ne- next stage. Well, aren't I better? You take it personally. I guess I'm a bad, you start feeling, I guess I'm a bad dad. I guess I'm a bad mom if I have kids who ask these kind of questions. Rather than calming your own anxiety and say, listen, this is my chance to use questions to explore and show my care through that. This happens all the time. I had a couple I was meeting with about a year and a half ago. And as they were sharing some struggles that they were going through, she began to cry sitting on the couch. And she finished, you know, some moments of sharing some things and in tears and i kind of looked at her i looked at him he loved his wife sitting next to her and he's kind of looking at me and i'm looking at him and she's crying next to him and so i look at him he's like yeah so anyway this is a lot going on with us and i think that's and it wasn't a total change of subject but it was just kind of like you know and now here's the facts and so he kind of went on for a few minutes and i said hey can i pause this for a second he said sure i said i noticed your wife is sharing something meaningful and is crying. I said, yeah. What if we took a moment and what if you just put your arm around her? Could you do that? Oh, yeah, I guess I could do that. And would you mind holding her hand? No, I could do that. And I said, how do you feel right now? She's like, oh, my goodness, I feel, I feel like I'm not alone in this. He's like, oh, well, that was easy. Yeah, that was easy. And he just talked about his background growing up. When people have emotions, it's an embarrassing time, so you avoid it. You, you get over it. And so he just needed to simply, with touch and with proximity, show care and concern. How about we ask a few more questions? Now, why was that so painful for you? I never would have thought that. Yeah, and so these are not sermons you can listen to. These are skills you have to practice. I had a couple I met with recently, and she was just feeling very, very alone, and they were at each other for different reasons, and you know, both had legitimate issues on both sides. And, and I said, hey, can I pause for a second? It sounds like both of you are hurting. Can we put the disagreements on both sides, would you guys be willing to just stand up and, and hold each other? Are you at a place where you can at least give each other a hug? I think so, even as angry as you are. Yeah. So let's just hold each other for a second. Pretend like I'm not in the room. Why don't we just tell each other that we care that the other person's hurting? Instead of trying to convince the other person they shouldn't be hurting and you didn't really do that. It was just such a powerful moment. Now, there are lots of the issues still, but it was like, let's remember in the midst of our pain 
that we care that the other person is hurting. But we just don't do that enough. And it's because no one's modeled it for us. And no one's taught us how to do it. And it feels awkward because it's never something we've seen. And yet, it's actually what the other person needs in our relationship. How do we do that? How do we help people process through that? In fact, we did a family night when Milan and Kay were here. And I had a, a couple came up to me and said, Oh my goodness, we had such a great time. That evening session was so fantastic, learning how to enter each other's world. I turned to my spouse and said, I've been saying this for 10 years. And the spouse turned and said, I finally got it. The way they taught it, the skills and the tools they handed out, I finally got it. And again, there's this way in which they're learning how to comfort each other, learning how to listen to each other. It's just not taught. And it's certainly not modeled ever, especially now in this time in history. The second thing we learn about comfort is comfort is not talking people out of their sadness. As I mentioned already, there's something really honest about why as a parent, as a boss, as a, a, a a spouse, you'd want to talk them out of the sadness, right? You don't want people you care about to be sad, to be grieving, to be angry. So it makes sense. And this is what happens. Son comes home and he got, you know, you know he missed the, the winning hit or he missed the winning goal. And you say, oh, don't worry, you'll get him next time. Well, that's probably true. But let's not talk them out of their sadness. Let's help them grieve. How did you feel? I'm disappointed. What happened? And, and other people were feeling this about me. They said this. We're so awkward around sadness and grief I found myself about eight years ago, I discovered that I was really, I, I kind of turned both my kids to let's go have fun to not think about our sadness. And Sierra called me on it um, as she was going through high school, and I realized, oh my goodness, I've done this, and, I, and I've gotten so much better at not being the happiness guru. What's going on? I'm here with you in the middle of it. Tell me about that. How strong are those feelings? Not trying to talk her out of her sadness, but entering it. And that's what happens here. He's, again, he, gets, he takes it personally. Am I not better than you, the ten sons? Come on, get happy. You get happy with me and I'll be happy with you. And again, it's motivated by love. And she says, listen, I'm in bitterness of soul. I'm, I'm praying to the Lord. I'm weeping in anguish. I need somebody to be with me in my pain. Now, if you haven't come across this, this is a great video we've shown before. And this is often what happens in that classic conversation where one spouse or one person, one child, one parent really wants one person to listen and the other person genuinely cares and is trying to fix it. Maybe you've been in a conversation kind of like this. Let's watch. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there, stop thing, trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail. See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just sometimes it's like there's this achy. I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. 
trying to solve it because it sounds patronizing. You know, if I was in your situation, I would have just done this and I'd be fine. So I think sometimes it can be helpful before you start a conversation to say, do you need me just to listen or do we want to work on a solution? Kind of code you in. Okay, this is an example. What did Chad tell me to do? Explore with questions. Don't try and eliminate the sadness. Enter her world. Enter his world. Enter my child's world. Enter my parents' world. So... Comfort is not trying to talk somebody out of their sadness. Now, there may be a time after you process sadness, you could give some perspective. There's more games. There's more opportunities. It's not the end of the world. But, but don't rush to the solution when you haven't entered the world with somebody. That's what most of us need, somebody who will show us we're not alone in our grief. All right. The third aspect is that of comfort is, number one, um, we're going to use these questions to explore. We're not going to talk somebody out of their sadness. But three, and this gets into kind of a spirituality thing, you're not going to be able to pray your way out of things that you can't mourn your way through. Because we're not comfortable with grief, we're not comfortable with mourning, we're not comfortable with sadness, we try and pray our way out of it. God, just fix my spouse. God, fix my kids. God, just fix. And again, this guy, Elkanah, is a very spiritual man. He doesn't lack spirituality. Here he is offering sacrifices. He's making an offering for her. He loves her. He's at temple in Shiloh at Tabernacle. He's giving an offering for her. He cares about her. He loves her. But that is not, the, the offering that's going on is not going to substitute for her need for comfort. She has bitterness of soul. She's still, even though it's good to pray for people, even though it's good to give offerings for people, there's still a skill of being with someone when they're in a circumstance where they feel like, wow, I can't accomplish the things I want to accomplish. In this case, it's fertility. In fact, I heard a powerful story this week. I, I told a little bit of the story last week about the friend who'd had an affair for a year and some of the challenges related to bitterness. I talked to him again this week, and he gave me the rest of the story. It's pretty powerful. And sometimes one of the reasons we don't enter people's world is because we don't want to face the pain that we're causing other people. We may be the cause of the pain that's happened in their life. He said, after this year-long affair, he said he had to come face-to-face with his pride, his arrogance, his ego that had caused all these issues. A break in his relationship with his wife, a break in his relationship with his dad. He said, the real hero of the story was my wife. In fact, we couldn't have restored our marriage. I couldn't have reconnected with God had my wife not been a hero of forgiveness. That she, even in the middle of my betrayal, she had been willing to be patient with what God was doing in my life. I said, well, what was her secret to doing it? He said, well, it was three things. First, she had a Bible by her bed, so she does every day. There's something about the promises of God that helped her during this time. Secondly, every night she had this cross, and she held it on her, her heart, and she kept that really, really close to her to remember what Jesus did for her so that she could try and extend some forgiveness and patience with me while giving me truth that this is unacceptable and this is wrong and the balance of those two things. The third thing he said is that she had this, this whisper from the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe in that, she had this thought. Um, but she would say it came from God. And the thought was, it's not over till I say it's over. And for her, that was a voice of hope from God saying, I'm working with your husband. I'm going to break your husband of some bad habits. Give me some, some patience here. Have some hope and strength. I'm working in the midst of this painful circumstance. 
It was during that time that he met a friend who got him into a Bible study for the first time. And though he'd been religious growing up, it certainly didn't help him be faithful. He began to study the life of Jesus. He began to study the Bible for the first time. And God began to break him, and he began to enter his wife's world. My goodness. Not, hey, I deserve this because of whatever you know, anyone else is doing or not doing. Look at how I have wounded someone I care about. Look at how my you know, keeping up appearances here but acting this way here has damaged my reputation, my family, and people I care about. He began through brokenness, began to enter the world and see how he'd caused the damage. He said his hero wife who forgave him through this, God began to use that to transform him. And the Bible said he did begin to transform him. And then this relationship where he'd been kind of bitter toward his father, God began to transform him. So his dad was in some type of hospice care the last two years of his life, 24-7 nurse care. He could smile, he could talk a little, but not a lot, yeses and noes. He said, God prompted me, in light of my newfound faith in God and the forgiveness I experienced from my wife, to go and visit my father. As much as I'd seen everything he did wrong, I decided to empathize and to see where I might have been wrong. And because my dad couldn't talk much, he couldn't cut me off. And so I was actually finally able to talk. And I felt listened to. My dad could nod, blink his eyes, a smile. And for two years before he died, we rebuilt our relationship. And eventually I told my father I forgave him, and vice versa. And more than that, I get a chance to tell my dad about this God I met, not the one of religion we grew up in, but the one of the Bible, of a God who loved me when I was broken, just like my wife loved me when I was broken. I wanted to love you, Dad, when you were broken. It was in the middle of all that his dad became a follower of Jesus. All the sisters were there, and they had an opportunity just to celebrate what God was doing in their father. One of the sisters was, uh, you know, dot all the, the I's and cross all the T's, and so she had this prayer, I accept Jesus into my life kind of thing. And she's like, Dad, will you sign this? <laughs> so Dad, they couldn't talk. They wanted to make sure Dad understood it, so Dad signed it. And that was just her way of saying, Dad, I want to be in heaven with you, and I want to know for sure that you're kind of hooking your wagon to Jesus and his claims. And it was such a powerful example to me of in the middle of just a horrible circumstance how there was truth, there was accountability, there was conviction. There was many, many years of counseling that went on during that. But the real hero was somebody, God, who forced somebody who was arrogant to enter the world of someone they'd caused pain in, how God began to transform them from inside out. I have another friend who's been going through a three-year process of trying to discover how to get better with, more, with grief and comfort because he realizes he's been uh, inaccessible to, the kids and, to his kids and his grandkids and to his, his spouse in a way that he wants to be better at. So he's been journaling for the last couple of years. He's always showing me new books he's reading to kind of get better at this world. He said, I've been going backwards and realized the reason I'm so bad at this is it was so poorly modeled for me. But I didn't know it. I just thought it was normal. He told me a couple weeks ago when we were skiing together, he said, uh, I think one of the issues is that I'm finding these little spots in my life where I was taught to be uncomfortable with grief. I said, well, tell me about that. He said, well, I remember when JFK was killed. I'm like, Really? So I was a kid, and I was watching it on TV. And I didn't know much about it, but I remember crying in our living room. I remember my mom came on, and she saw it was on TV. She saw us crying, and she walks over, turns the TV off, and says, Go out and play! Go out and play! I think mean, it wasn't that mom didn't love them. I mean, mom did love them. Mom was trying to help them. But not, mom never helped me process what I was feeling, what was going on, what was the grief, asking me questions, helped me explore that thing. So I just learned when you have those kind of feelings, you kind of go out and play. And I brought that into my parenting. And I brought that into my grandparenting. And I brought that into my, 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 my being a spouse. And so I just lack the skill. And I'm having to retrain myself 
to be a holistic version of myself. I realize I've been robbed of parts of me. So, comfort. It's not talking people out of their sadness. It's not trying to pray your way out of things. You know, God, I'm no good at this, so you, you fix it. No, you, you're going to have to learn these skills if you want to emotionally connect with the people in your life. Lastly, comfort is not making accusations or giving advice. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving advice, and there's certainly a time when people do wrong things to, to make accusations. But that's not comfort. And so Hannah has had kind of a bad experience with Elkanah now, but again, he's trying. She now heads to temple. She's in tabernacle, and the priest there, again, godly man trying to do the right thing named Eli. Uh, Eli, another bad example of what not to do. So Hannah is in tabernacle just weeping. I mean, she's been ridiculed day after day, year after year by her sister, wife, rival, painfully experiencing infertility. It's a lot of pain going on, and she's just in temple, in God's presence, crying. So the priest comes out, and he walks out, and he sees this woman praying in tabernacle. He's like, huh. It happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. So she's not praying out loud. She's crying and like, so whatever she's whispering to God or mouthing to God, he's watching this. And he knows exactly what's going on. He knows what's going on here. So watching her, her lips move and her voice not heard, he says he thought she was drunk. Oh, people coming in a synagogue getting drunk. Don't even know what they're doing. So because he thinks she's drunk, he judges her in advance before questioning, before asking, before exploring. He says to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Put that wine away from you. Now, this is exactly what happens when you're a poor listener. The person's just starting to tell you what they're feeling, what they're thinking, how they're processing. And if you're like me, you're immediately going, wrong, wrong, not what happened, not what happened, wrong, 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 and finally you just can't take it anymore. I mean, they've been talking for two sentences now. No, that's not what happened, right? You get defensive, you cut them off. And here's what happens. You do exactly what Eli did. But I thought. You think you know what they're saying. You think you know what's going on. And so you're not bringing respect and warmth, which is regardless if I agree or disagree with them, I can still try and understand them. And that thinking, those accusations and that judgment keeps you from being warm, keeps you from being respectful, not judging until you understand, and it keeps you from empathy. I remember talking to a couple several years ago, like 15 years ago. They are going through a marriage challenge. We are talking about that when you communicate, use I words. Talk about how you feel, not accuse the other person of things. Use questions. And this is a couple that really didn't have the skills, like most of us. And she said, I don't get it. I said, what do you mean you don't get it? She said, okay, well, what's the difference? All right. Typically, I say, you're a jerk to my husband. Okay, that would be a bad example. It's probably not helping. She said, all right, so I'll, I'll use I language. I think you're a jerk. So, okay, I, I see the problem now. That's, uh, that, that's probably not going to help. She goes, okay, I'll use a question. Why do you have to act like a jerk? Why do you have to act like such a way that I think you're a jerk? I'm like, okay, that's, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll clarify that. I said, how about this? Let's not focus on his behavior. When whatever happens, happens, how do you feel? Well, I just really feel angry. I really feel alone. How about instead of saying you're always at work, how about I'd like to spend more time together? Oh, and vice versa. I was like, oh, it wasn't just semantics of the I words and the question marks at the end of the sentences. It was a new way of communicating, focusing on how do we move forward together and not throwing accusations at one another, truly trying to understand each other. So this is not easy stuff. It may be simple, but it's not easy. 
learning these skills when you've been modeled from all your parents and all your grandparents and, you know, from our society today. It's hard to learn how to do this, but it's essential if we're going to have the kind of relationships we want to have. Which is why I think our key takeaway, if you look at all these different aspects, you won't remember all of it. The key takeaway, I want to go back to a verse I didn't develop yet. The key takeaway is how do you and I come alongside the people we love? I've got a son who's 20. And, you know, I've been through a lot of stress this summer with my wife being totally out of commission. I can tell you how many times I turned to, to Javen and I said, Javen, I don't even want to talk about it. I just need a hug right now. And Javen many times came up and just gave me a hug. And I said, it's just tough right now. It was just a powerful moment. I've known you're not alone in challenge. And as things have gotten better in the last month, it's been great. But it, there's, there's times we need men in our life. We need women in our life. We need people who say, I'm standing with you in the midst of this, who come alongside of us. It's a powerful thing we can do. Whatever age you are, the gift you can give to your parents, whether your parents are 70 or 50 or 40, rather than seeing them as always the, 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 the people who force rules on you, you have an opportunity to see them as human beings and vice versa. Your kids are always rebelling and they don't listen. These are human beings around you that you have an opportunity to speak to and listen to and understand, to come alongside them. Now, there's a really interesting uh, phrase here that you use I want to go back to. So it says, uh, there's three, here's three different Bible translations in English of the Hebrew. When he goes to the offering and makes this offering for Hannah, look what happens. But to Hannah, he'd give a double portion of the meat. But if you look at another translation of King James, it says he gave a worthy portion. It wasn't double, it was worthy. If you go to the New Living Translation, it says he would give her only one choice portion. So the English is struggling with how to communicate whatever's happening in the Hebrew. Is it one or is it two? Is it choice or is it worthy? And if you look up the Hebrew phrase here for that portion he gives for, uh, for Hannah, um, it actually says a flaring nostril portion. Well, it's no wonder they can't translate it. And uh, so I think it's a Hebrew idiom that's communicating two things. One, you would chop up the sacrifice. As you're chopping those pieces up, there was one that was a double section. So it was both one piece, but it was a double section. So that's where the one, two goes on. But why would this word worthy or choice or flared nostrils come in? Because the phrase literally means um, when, you get, um, when you're grieving or when you're crying, your, your nostrils flare you know, when you're sobbing. So the idea here is that, he, and the word can also mean face, so it's, it's flared nostrils or face. So though he did give an actual double portion to her, what he was really doing in that moment was coming alongside her with two faces. The face of love, honey, I love you. But also as he gave this portion, he had flared nostrils. He was weeping with her in, in whatever the expression of that in his personality was. He was grieving with her. He was understanding that this was a, a very difficult thing, the infertility. He was coming alongside her in her pain. And, and the phrase two-faced in our culture means something very bad. But in this phase, it was, it was actually a way of being two-faced to somebody is to, I'm happy and I love you, but I'm also willing to be, have another face, which is to grieve with you when you grieve. So it's a powerful thing when you come alongside someone and you grieve with them when, when they grieve. And how do we do that? Well, I think it's back to these ideas. I've got to get much more comfortable with asking questions to explore where people are coming from. Uh, number two, sometimes we need tools. Like my friends who went and heard the K and Alan and got the, the talk sheets. 
And if that's something that's helpful for you, we pass those out and talk about those extensively during our series, Get a Clue. You can go to our, our website, horizoncc.com. If you're here for that series, um, you can pull it up. If you weren't, you can listen to it. But if you type into our search engine in media downloads, uh, Get a Clue, you'll find the very beginning of that series are detective notes and listening guides. One is... One person can hold that. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling resentful. I'm feeling upset. You know, it's a tool to help you discover how you're feeling. And for those of you who don't know what to do, she wants me to listen. He wants me to listen. I don't know how. The detective guide is five questions to ask. Well, how strongly are those feelings? How often are you feeling that? Has this been going on for a while? And if you don't know what to do, just literally read the questions off. And you'll be amazed that even just reading the questions, the other person's going to feel like, wow, this is so much better than not feeling listened to with your kids, with your spouse, whoever it is. So those are some tools you can use. The third thing, though, is that there's something about going through difficulties. Infertility, for Hannah, the grief she's going through. There's something so powerful about taking your focus off yourself and serving others when you're grieving. In fact, when you enter somebody's world and step out of your own defensiveness, your own, all right, better than ten sons, something powerful happens in you. God develops you when you take your eyes off yourself, as painful as it might be, to focus on someone else. And vice versa. When two people can begin to look at each other and the other person feels seen and feels known, it changes kids' lives, it changes families' lives, it changes parenting. There's just powerful moments. In fact, we've got to see one of that firsthand in the last seven years here at Horizon. We had a man who's going through incredible grief. It was in that grief, not real interest in spirituality, that it was serving other people focusing on other people, making his world bigger than a very difficult circumstance he'd been in for the last two years that God used to transform him. God came alongside him through service. Let's watch. I was married to Holly for 33 years. It was a second marriage for each of us. Both of us had a bad experience as a first marriage and I didn't really believe anybody was happily married but Holly changed all that and uh, she did become the most important thing in my life and when she passed away seven years ago it was very difficult and I was fortunate in that I had a casual friend who sent me an email the week after she died and said would you like to go to church with my wife and I this coming week and I answered him very succinctly and said no. And the next week, he sent me the same email, and I answered the same way. And this went on for four weeks. And on the fifth week, he sent me an email that said, Last night, I had a very unique experience. I went down with a group from church to City Gospel Mission and helped serve meals to homeless people. Would you like to participate? And I answered him very succinctly, no comma but i would like to know who does the cooking and he replied you want to do the cooking and i said yes so he went to john kirby who's the outreach minister as you know and asked him if he could do something to help a friend who was lost and john gave us some dates and we cooked for seven years in that time i would say that my cooking team, which I couldn't do this without them, and I have gotten more out of it than the people that we've served. When you lose somebody that's as important as Holly was to me, or is to me, 
you're at a total loss. You're just, oh, the last two years of her life, all I did was stay home and take care of her. And when you when you live like that, you you really lose your identity. You become one soul instead of two. When half of it's gone, you have no purpose. And what John did when he gave us the cooking dates is he put purpose back in my life. And so the biggest lesson that I learned is that if we want to be fulfilled as human beings, we have to learn to not just be givers, but to be receivers as well. And part of being a receiver is letting others help you like the cooking team has helped me. And I've been blessed to have them and learn to share what we have openly and, and willingly so that, uh, we do have some real purpose in our life, and that's the whole name of the game. Isn't that powerful? Just how God came alongside him in his grief, and by focusing on serving others, realizing he wasn't alone with people and with God, God began to heal his heart. It's one of the reasons we make service such a big part of what we do as a church. And we have opportunities to train ourselves and teach ourselves and, and other things, but really when we serve one another... We enter other people's worlds. We, we help them. We serve them. And God develops us. Maybe you want to do that. Let me show you how you can maybe find an opportunity that might be a good fit for you. If you go to our website, you type in horizoncc.com. You'll see when it pulls up. This is a great site. Um, we'll have an app coming out in the next couple of months, which will even uh, be an easier way to do this. But you'll uh, click there on that. And then you'll see at the top, it says serving opportunities. If you click on serving opportunities... There's all kinds of different ones. If you want to serve here at Horizon, there's lots of ways to serve here at Horizon. There's also ways you can serve locally, like you just saw with City Gospel Mission. There's also ways to serve globally and give financially. So if you go to Serve at Horizon, you click on Serve, there's just lots and lots of opportunities. Some are during the week, come in for an hour, cut out some crafts, meet some other people. You'll meet some other people. We have great groups of volunteers who work together, so you're not alone. You get to meet some people. If you feel like, well, it would be great just to get to know some people through service. Children's ministry, there's small group leaders, assistant group leaders, uh, maybe you want to act on stage, drama cast members, uh, door monitors, hallway decor uh, people and teams. Maybe you want to help out in the tech booth and run video and you end up meeting some people and seeing what happens when you're using your service in that way. Facilities ways, if you have IT skills, there's ways to serve in that way. Maybe you're seeing what's going on with our new app and with our video cameras. We have three cameras in now that are robotic. We're going to have manual cameras going in in the next uh, several uh, weeks and months. And you say, hey, I'd love to learn or be trained on that. And you say, oh, I like that. So you click on details. And sure enough, it pulls up, tells you a little bit about what's happening, what that position does, how you can get involved in that. And you can email or call us on that. Or you say, no, no, I really like this idea of city gospel. So you go back to serving opportunities. And sure enough, you say, I want to go back to uh, that city gospel. How can I get involved in that? So you jump down, serving locally. You press serve. There's a different city gospel events. There they are. There's the dates for it. Here's how you can get involved in it. Here's how to contact. Or maybe you've heard about us talk about, you know, going to Belize or going down with Cancun with back-to-back or those different opportunities. You click on serve globally. And sure enough, there's opportunities there. How that happens, what's coming up, giving tree, who to contact, those different things as well. So we want Horizon to be a place that you can serve. Well, Horizon be a place where you can learn skills to be a better parent, to be a better boss, to be a better colleague. Even next week, next week we have Kathy Cook coming back. We had such a great response to her talk on the eight smarts. She's going to do a talk on how to connect with your children, how to develop both their heart and their mind. 
And she's going to be speaking here on stage next week, but then she's also going to do a training. How do we enter our kids' world? How do we get better at this? Because Rise is a place where we want to take what God has taught us and really push it out into our lives. So we hope this baggage claim has been very helpful for you, and I hope that your spouse and your kids and your employees aren't going to look in the bag and find out there's nothing there. That you will do the hard work to retrain yourself what wasn't trained to you and say, I want to learn how to be a better comforter. I want to learn what empathy looks like in my tone, in my body language, in my eye contact. I want to learn how to be warm because my kids need it and my spouse needs it and my boss needs it and my employees need it. And I want to learn how to delay judgment to make sure I understand before I evaluate. When you do that, you'll be amazed at how God began to transform the relationships in your life as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the ultimate example of someone who entered our world. For you came from heaven to earth. And you came from a place of luxury and a place of comfort to a place of discomfort. Because you so wanted to know us and understand us and walk alongside us and come alongside us. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you for this time we've had today to explore the the do's and the do nots of being the kind of people you want us to be. Help us to come along, the children, the students, the adults, those down at City Gospel, that we'll be a community of service and we'll be known for that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. See you all next week.